It's July the 8th already. It's oh. Friday. Already. Doesn't it sort of feel like July's already a third of the way done? Yeah. Maybe a little over a quarter of the way done. <laughs> but uh, it just feels like we kind of, I don't know. I mean, it, one thing we recognize here with the global reach of these podcasts, this new media landscape, you might be listening to us uh, from Austria. I'm trying to think of places where we've received correspondence from recently. Syria, I've Costa Rica, map, like, uh, yeah, Utah, South America. People, yeah, people all over everywhere. the place. So, so we don't want to just say, how about this weather we've been seeing lately? But in our <laughs> neck of the woods, it's been a gong show. And uh, it just hasn't felt like summer. But it, does, it doesn't matter. Regardless, I want to talk about your rain set last night. You were spinning some tunes oh, infamous. Man. At the, the CFL clash, the Battle of Alberta, the Edmonton Elks and the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, we got a Friday show you're not going to want to miss. We're glad to have you here with it. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for tuning in live. However you're getting your real talk, whenever you're getting it, we appreciate it. Sapria Duvetti in just a moment. Andrew Walker coming up today as well, host of The Hedge. There's some developments internationally. Uh, sort of a, a, a shooting, an assassination, a, a difficult scenario uh, to wrap your mind around in Japan, former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe assassinated at a campaign event. People are still, uh, I think, in shock, it's safe to say. We already have statements from global leaders that were, uh, you know, uh, uh, do I say associated with, with Prime Minister Abe through his tenure, right? Like, yeah. you know, you have Democratic and Republic, Republican presidents that have uh, done work with him, collaborated with him over the, uh, his years as Japan's Prime Minister. And in a country that... People uh, typically don't experience gun violence. It's just the statistics yeah. in Japan around gun violence are are so much lower than in other countries around the world. I mean, of course, stacked up against the United States, but others as well. We'll talk about this. It's a developing story. This has just happened. Uh, you know, if you're listening in North America, this happened overnight. It happened early in Japan uh, on this Friday, and, and we'll get to that. This show happens. We have these conversations every day, this real talk, because sponsors believe that it's important, and that includes the team at Bitcoin Well. We've been reminding you this week on their behalf that it's never been easier to buy Bitcoin through your online banking. They've, they've set it up to make it easier than ever before. You go to BitcoinWell.com. You can check that out today. You can sign up to buy with e-transfer. Uh, it takes a couple of minutes the first time, but then it's smooth sailing after that. It's the ultimate one-touch Bitcoin buying experience. Easier and safer, faster even, than ever before. I'm never telling you to buy or sell your Bitcoins. If you have questions, you want to learn more about it, we recommend the team at Bitcoin Well. Find them under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Also, taking note of what's trending, it's sort of an exercise every morning when I get up, what's trending across the country, and a lot of people are talking about Roger's communications rogers selling internet yeah. down across the country right now that's crazy which is a total disaster can't even uh, call 911 if you have an emergency it's yeah yeah and bad. you think of uh, i mean I'm, I'm stating the obvious here but how reliant people are on people are on on uh, obviously internet and cell service you lose both uh, and then all of a sudden you realize that a lot of people's lives, business lives, you know, professional and personal lives kind of come to a grinding halt when something like this happens I'd say if you're a Rogers customer, let us know how you're dealing with it, but you're probably not watching or listening to the show right now <laughs> you if you're a Rogers customer, to say the least. Uh, hey, listen, this is this is a, a horrific uh, circumstance. The former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe has died after being shot uh, during a campaign event in Japan. We'll talk to Sapria Devetti about this in just a second, but I, but I wanted to provide a picture of perspective on CBS News. This was literally just moments ago. International relations expert Nancy Snow was talking about the culture in Japan and how Japanese pe uh, people typically, citizens typically, don't encounter violence like we might see in other parts of the world. It's an interesting insight. Check this out. I guess we'll start out just by talking about how unprecedented this all is, especially considering we were just saying how rare this is in Japan, where uh, it also has one of the uh, world's strictest gun violence laws. That's right, but let me just give you the setting of where Abe was in Nara, Japan, just outside Kyoto. Uh, many tourists go there. That's where you have the very uh, placid deer. It's a very sort of rural setting. This was not a huge crowd. 
And uh, the, the people were gathered quite closely to him with limited security. This is that feeling you get when you're in Japan. Yes, there is some violence, it's minimal, but not gun violence. And not only is it rare to be able to own a gun, but nobody wants to own a gun. Mm. I mean, that's the difference. They're repelled by it. It's culturally inappropriate for a country where a social contract, the social collective, is so meaningful. The Japanese are known to be so polite and, and very concerned about the other person because it's often very crowded in the big cities. So you really honor and respect the other person. And being disarmed is part of that feeling. And my, my heart is broken today for the Japanese people because no longer will they feel that they're a bit of the exception to the violent rule that we see throughout the world. And I'm, That's uh, I'm Nancy Snow, an international relations trauma. expert, yeah. talking to CBS News just, just moments ago. We wanted to provide that for perspective, talking about the social collective, uh, the idea in Japan and how being disarmed, so to speak, is part of that. I mean, the, the numbers, the comparisons... Uh, when you look at gun violence in Japan versus the rest of the world, it's, it's just something that that Japanese citizens typically don't see. I mean, for perspective, these numbers from 2018, okay? This is out of the University of Sydney in Australia that did the research, the Sydney School of Public Health. Uh, in 2018, Japan, a country of 125 million people reported nine deaths from firearms. Nine 125 million people in 2018. For contrast, the United States, about double that population in 2018, 39,740 gun deaths. 39,740 versus nine. Uh, Sapria Devetti, a great friend of this show, she's the director of policy and engagement at the uh, Center for Media, Technology, and Democracy at McGill University's uh, Max Bell School. She's also senior counsel at Enterprise Canada. You see her on Power and Politics. You read her work in the Toronto Star, the National Observer, and you see her here on Real Talk. Uh, you hear her every Friday in this time slot. Uh, this is uh, a story, Supriya, that people are waking up to in the Western world, certainly. Uh, everybody knows, uh, to, to a certain degree, who Shinzo Abe was based on his, his tenure as Japanese, uh, Japanese Prime Minister, but uh, this is, I mean, an assassination, uh, a really remarkable circumstance, especially considering uh, what we see in Japan statistically when it comes to guns, access to guns and the use of guns and violent crimes. Yeah, um, you know, you already sort of touched on the comparison there in terms of how rare gun violence is, right, from those stats that you just uh, threw out. And I think it's worth, you know, kind of laying out the point even more so that in terms of being able to access a gun at all, um, like handguns are outlawed. The only guns that are allowed to be for sale are shotguns or air rifles. And then the process to get them is quite arduous. Um, you know, you have to attend an all day class. You have to pass a written test, a shooting range test accuracy um, of at least 95% um, percent, uh, mental health evaluation, rigorous uh, background check, you know, criminal record interviews with um, in, in terms of family and friends to look at involvement, looking at personal debt as well. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it's 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 quite a, a bit of a process. And, you know, once you've actually obtained the gun, then you have to register the weapon with the police and provide the police with details in terms of where um, the ammunition is stored, where the gun is stored, et cetera. So um, it, it's incredibly shocking. I can't imagine um, how the people uh, of Japan are, are feeling. I'm clearly shocked, clearly saddened. Um, there's going to be a National Day of Mourning, um, and there's going to be quite a bit, I think, of questions now in terms of uh, the assassin himself, in terms of motive, um, why he did this. Uh, there are early reports now already that after police had, you know, checked out um, the suspect's home, uh, there were quite a few other homemade uh, sort of uh, explosives and other weapons that were there. So clearly a lot of digging to do on the police and the investigative side of things. Yeah, no kidding. And I mean, they talk about the last time a politician was shot in Japan. It, it actually, I mean, if, if you consider how rare gun violence is in Japan, this actually doesn't seem like that long ago. But but 2007, uh, the mayor of Nagasaki, uh, Icho Ito, was shot. Uh, a couple of times at point-blank range, uh, died after suffering cardiac arrest. Uh, but since then, Japan had tightened its gun controls, e even more so than before, uh, imposed heavier punishments for gun offenses, most especially those that were committed by members of organized crime gangs. Uh, 
uh, it, I, I referenced that comment from Nancy Snow. Uh, she's been doing a lot of, I mean, she has a lot of experience in, in understanding Japan, and not just Japanese culture, but Japan itself, legislation, crime and punishment, all that kind of stuff. And and she described this as as unfathomable. She says it's culturally unfathomable. Uh, the Japanese people, she told CNN this morning, can't imagine having a gun culture like we have in the States. This is a speechless moment. She said people are at a loss for words. Isn't it a stark contrast? I, I, I hope this isn't gauche that we're talking about this. I mean, you know, you, you talk about Shinzo Abe, former prime minister. We talk about the, the nation of Japan. Uh, but the automatic comparison seems to go to the U.S., doesn't it? I mean, I mean, you know, people look for comment this morning. People are, what, what, you know, what does President Biden have to say about this? He's released a statement. Um, you know, the standard, the United States stands with Japan in this moment of grief. I send my deepest condolences to his family. I mean, what's he going to say? Yeah. Uh, but, but this idea that it's, quote, culturally unfathomable. And then I stack that up against comments that I made on, on this show just a few days ago after the 4th of July, the parade shooting in, in Highland Park in Illinois. And I felt disrespectful unintentionally saying, I don't know what we're supposed to say. Every yeah. time there's a mass shooting, this sounds gauche, but you know, we try to find a fresh angle. <laughs> like, what are you going to say? You just say, well, I feel the same that I feel every other time there's a mass shooting, which is about every 18 hours in the U.S. Uh, it, it, the, the, the contrast is really unbelievable. And People have been talking about guns all week since at least six people died in that Illinois attack. Yeah, and I mean, to your point, um, I, I guess that the original point that Nancy, uh, the inter international relations expert, was making uh, to U.S. outlets, it's it really is cultural, right? And so if you don't have a gun culture and you have more of a socially cohesive collective culture in which you're sort of turned off by uh, the notion of firearm ownership, um, then that that permeates and that trickles down. And clearly the U S does not have that, right. It's almost the exact opposite um, and makes them a bit of a, you know, an outlier in terms of the rest of the uh, developed world. And, you know, as politicians in the U S sort of look for solutions and answers um, and they try and blame, and this is, you know, primarily for politicians that are on the right side of the spectrum, but as politicians try and lay blame on everything from like, I don't know, marijuana use to video games to uh, mental health uh, issues, it's, it's very clear that when you have, you know, access to uh, firearms and the ease at which you can obtain them legally, um, it, it makes, you know, gun violence, uh, the propensity of which uh, a lot more likely. Yeah, they're they're uh, I, I'm referencing uh, the website India today. And, and as mentioned, this is a, a developing story, but the, but there have been some photos uh, snapped of the suspect. Uh, who was detained and who obviously remains in custody. Uh, they're, they're calling this a like a snap gun, Sapria. It's kind of interesting here. You can you can see it like sort of a homemade weapon, and you can see here the guy uh, it looks almost like electrical tape and, and pipes. Uh, he has the gun in his possession as, as he's uh, intercepted by security personnel. They say that there are lithium batteries that are used as part of the detonation. Wood block goes into the construction, so... I don't know if that makes it easier to get through metal detectors. I, I mean, maybe not if there's pipes being used. I don't know anything about this, but regardless, I mean, I don't think I, I mean, I think ultimately what really matters here is that a, a, a person was shot and killed at a campaign event, a prominent politician and obviously somebody who's beloved by millions of people. So, um, yeah. Can, can I just say something I'm not looking forward to, though, that I think is somewhat inevitable? I mm. think you're going to get a lot of U.S. politicians now being like, well, see, it's they have strict gun laws and there was still an assassination like mm. and I am not looking forward to that conversation or the it maybe if cycle. more of maybe if more of Abe's security personnel had had guns, had they more could guns. Have yeah. the a good guy with a gun would have stopped the bad maybe guy if everybody gun. in yeah. the audience had guns they all could have opened fire on the gunman and then yeah the right person yeah. would have got shot you're right did you see that by the way I don't I wish I have it you know rule number one for podcasts probably don't reference audio you don't have did you see this representative down in the states? What was she? A, was she a congresswoman? She was talking about her grandkids. Did you see this clip from earlier oh, this week? You know what? I saw it. I saw people like it came into my feed, and I never actually clicked on it. But the the caption was that 
she said something that she'd be willing to shoot her own grandkids or something like she that. Is that what you're referring to? Like, yeah, exactly. She says she says something. I mean, I sh- uh, let me just Google this. Shoot my own grandkids. Let's see what Google <laughs> finds me here. Yes, Jeez. did okay. Snopes.com, the MythBusters. Did uh, Representative the Republican out of Arizona, Debbie Lesko, say that she would shoot her own? grandkids to protect them now she did say it i watched the clip i watched the clip three times in a row i'm pretty sure she misspoke like i yeah, don't I, mean, I, yeah. I you know i think what she means is she would shoot someone to protect her grandkids um uh, but she did go on the record uh she said you know she would do anything to protect her grandchildren including as a last resort shooting them if i had to to protect the lives of my grandchildren. So I'm, I'm sure that she means she would, would shoot an attacker, but it got everybody's attention. It's, it's just one of those things where we fuck up in what we talk about, but there's not like 300 million ears on us. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. and like people that are then going to try and like clip it, right? And to your point, I think it was just misspeaking. I don't think anybody's going to willingly say that they're willing to shoot their own grandchildren but right? it is like, interesting that the uh that the the uh the independence day the fourth of july attack in highland park uh people talk about you know if if something happens like it you know whether it was columbine or sandy hook or, or whatever school you want to talk about there's more recent examples tragically and unfortunately uh well if it happened in a school then that's when america would finally draw the line or if it happened in a house of worship but people get shot and killed at a at a synagogue or in a mosque or in a christian church or wherever uh, then, then that's that's it. If it's it's where people are a house of worship, that's where we do something about it. And then it just feels like the Fourth of July in the United States. There's really no more, can I say, sacred day. There's no more day. You know, you don't see any more patriotism than you do on the Fourth of July. People having a difficult time wrapping their minds around the timing of that attack, but also where it was. Uh, and and I saw some commentary. People going, especially people from Highland Park or other parts of Illinois, Chicago, obviously sees a lot of gun violence. Uh, taking issue with some of the comments saying, what do you mean that you don't typically see these in places like this? What do you what do you mean you don't typically see it in Highland Park places like this? There seems to be a misconception that mass shootings only happen in areas with different socioeconomic structures. In other words, they don't happen where people are white and rich, uh, but obviously not the case. But that's obviously not the case, though, right? I mean, Sandy Hook, wait, like that was in Connecticut. Well, right? for starters, all that? the shooters are white. Yeah, I like, mean, prove well, me wrong. Not all, not all of them. Well, not but like, all, but like, really, yeah. if you look at prom, I mean, obviously not all, but I mean, they're all prominent dudes. mass shootings. They're all white men that are 21 years old. They are. Yeah. I mean, yeah. really? I don't know. People are gonna be pissed off at me for saying that, but someone will dig and find like, you know, one Chinese American woman that participated in a mass shooting one time. But I don't know. I mean, there's there's obviously something going on. And, and I think that we ignore it at our peril. Let's turn our attention to matters of national politics, federal politics here in Canada. This is what we were going to talk about. There's been some developments in the Patrick Brown story. This whistleblower has come forward, uh, a woman identifying herself uh, from the Patrick Brown campaign uh, by the name of Debbie Jodoin, says that she basically uh, was working with the Brown campaign. She talked to him about an arrangement where she'd be paid by a private company. He's, and then she says that he approved it. Uh, Patrick Brown, at least before that, had said he had no knowledge about what this could possibly be about. As a matter of fact, on yesterday's Real Talk, uh, he said to us that he had definitive proof. He said he knew for a fact that this whole thing was cooked up by the Pierre Polyev campaign. A member of their campaign team told John Reynolds, who's my campaign co-chair, uh, he is the former party leader, a uh, longtime British Columbia MP, and he was called by the Polyev campaign. Um uh, saying that if Patrick gets disqualified, we're going to get him disqualified. Will you join our campaign? Um, and this was o- only a few days before. Uh, and uh, John, you know, he was Stephen Harper's um, campaign um, chair when he ran for the leader. Um, you know, John has uh, a ton of credibility. Uh, and clearly it was the Polyev supporters on Leoc that were the ones pushing this. It was not a clear decision of Leoc. It was a split decision. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we feel, um, this is wrong. Um, and, uh, Pierre, unfortunately has had a history of this type of behavior. You know, they got Ed Fast fired as finance critic for his criticism of Pierre's bizarre cryptocurrency policy. They, Michelle Rempel Garner, who's my campaign co-chair, um, they had Pierre supportive MPs threatened to have her kicked out of caucus for her criticism of Pierre. So, you know, I, I'm not surprised uh, by the tactics that Pierre Polyev's campaign has engaged in. 
I just don't believe the scorched earth approach is, is how you bring a party together. Lee Ock, of course, he's talking about the Leadership Election Organizing Committee, Conservative Party of Canada. What are you making of this whole mess? I haven't talked to you about this yet this week. Yeah, we haven't, which is weird, actually, that we haven't gotten into the text uh, about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, first and foremost, it's worth noting that even if, uh, you know, the Pierre Polyev campaign had like a heads up that this was going to go down, um, they didn't force anyone from Patrick Brown's campaign to come forward, nor did they like cook up this weird sort of uh, allegation of this payment scheme, right? Where her expenses, the the whistleblower that is on the Brown campaign, um, have her expenses paid by a corporation and not by the campaign itself. And the other thing with this whole like appealing of the disqualification decision is that the LEOC decisions are final. And that's very clear. It's like pretty black and white, like in the rules that all of the you know contestants would have had to abide by and like sign and be like, yeah, yeah, we're gonna follow these rules. It literally says LEOC decisions are final. All decisions of the LEOC are final and are not subject to internal appeal or judicial review. And, you know, there's a pretty like standard acceptance, I would say, within um, the legal community that like whatever political parties tend to do, like they're like creatures of their own making and they should, you know, have their own sort of structure and their own rules. And it's not really for judges to come in and like, you know, um, get into their affairs. So I'm not really sure what the thinking here is from the Brown camp. Um, I get that they had to do something, um, but I, yeah, I don't think this is going to be successful. I don't think he's going to be able to overturn it. Um, I think the bigger sort of questions now are like, what does the party go how does the party like go forward from this? Like, I mean, one thing that Patrick Brown said that is pretty accurate is there is a little bit of the scorched earth kind of um, approach, at least from, from Pierre's camp. And it's like, how do you unite um, different factions? But I mean, the question is like, do you really need those different factions if you're getting in a bunch of other voters, right? Like, I don't know. That's the thing is you don't necessarily need to say, well, you have to have progressive conservatives uh, in uh, well, that might be a bad example, but but maybe you say uh, you know we're not trying to reach this certain pocket of Atlantic Canada because we're gonna we're gonna hit BC hard and we think that we can win more in Quebec yeah. or we don't necessarily need it. If you can all of a sudden, I, I stop myself. I threw on the brakes. I was gonna say if you could bring in everybody that had been voting for Bernier and the PPC, et cetera. But let's be honest, that's three four percent probably of people that are turning out to vote. Not insignificant. It's I think it's less about Bernie, though, and it's more about like kind of elder millennials um, and like, mm. you know, older Gen Zer, particularly dudes um, who are part of the like crypto bro kind of yeah. sphere, the manosphere. Right. They like bought Jordan Peterson's book. They're big fans. Like, I think that's who he's going for, who don't necessarily traditionally vote for any party. Right. right. And now they're sort of intrigued by this guy who's pro crypto he's like pro conspiracy theory he's like kind of wants to burn down the system he's telling you that like hey gatekeepers are the reason why you can't afford a house you know like i just i don't know if he's going like i don't think he's going for the bernie folks i think it's just a bonus yeah. um if some of those folks do come over yeah you've just got to create your i don't know 500,000 people you got to cre- you, you got to find your million people that'll that'll show up and vote in in certain parts across the country for me i'm just still having a bit of a Tough time kind of wrapping my mind around the fact that this is the likely leader. I mean, he is he. Well, I mean, he's the future leader uh, of, you know, two oh, yeah, yeah, of yeah, yeah, Canada's yeah, yeah. mainstream he's- political parties. Like, it's not a fringe party. His 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 his, his vernacular sounds like the lead- and he's a great communicator. He's a great storyteller. He mm-hmm. his team, Jenny Byrne and everybody is leveraging social media in a way that none of the other candidates are even coming close and I think he's going to win in a landslide. But this is the guy that might be the prime minister of Canada. Uh, especially if you look at the woes that the liberals are experiencing right now and I'm just just as a like a I don't know. I feel like I'm signing a letter to the editor, but like as a concerned citizen, I'm kind of sitting here going like this is like the main guy of like a mainstream party. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but I doubt it. 
I, I, yeah, I don't think it's just you. Um, but I think a lot of folks, particularly on the more, um, you know, they're involved in like party politics that are kind of like, Meh, I don't think he's the right guy. I think they'll come around. I mean, we saw a lot of folks that were like, oh, Trump is dangerous. Trump is this, Trump is that. But, you know, when push came to shove, when it comes to like getting power eventually and getting things passed and having your agenda implemented, um, everybody sort of falls into line. And I expect a lot of the conservatives who, um, you know, previously were, even if they weren't necessarily naming Pierre by name, but were expressing, you know, concerns with respect to endorsing conspiracy theories or um, outward support for uh, the convoy, uh, the Freedom Convoy and its leaders um, who are pretty shady and have documented like extremist ties, um, are all going to come around because that's the way it is. That's what partisanship is, right? You end up, uh, you. It's like it's any. It's like anything. It's like supporting your your team, right? Like if you're pissed about a trade, you'll be pissed for a while, but eventually you're going to put on the jersey and you're going to show up to the game. Yeah, I don't know if it's weird for me to bring this up in this context, but I feel like you just described Evander Kane and the Edmonton Oilers in their Stanley Cup run. <laughs> you know, like the Oilers traded for Kane, the embattled forward dealing with bankruptcy proceedings and a a nasty divorce and a custody battle, which he won, by the way, won custody of his daughter. But a lot of people, um, and I won't say ex- certainly not exclusively female Oilers fans, but 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 a lot of women that I know that are Oilers fans were like, I, I, I'm not wearing the sweater. I can't wear the sweater. It's, I, feel, I don't like the signing. I feel sick about it. And then Kane went on to score, you know, I think his goal per game rate was like almost one. I mean, he just lit it up for the Oilers this year. And then uh, by the end of the cup run, it was like, you know, by the end of the second round, third round of the playoffs, people wanted to give him the key to the city. So it's just interesting. It's just like people you and, and politically, I think it's the same sort of a thing. Right. If conservatives, if moderate conservative supporters believe that they can see a conservative prime minister uh, back at 24 Sussex, then, you know, maybe it's something they can get on board with. I just know a lot of like pragmatic, reasonable, normal people that want to vote conservative that have a bit of a problem with where the party's trending right now. So um, I don't ignore the emails. I can't. I, I just see it all over the place. And and then there's this stuff that's going down. You want to get into it? I think we can name yeah. the journalist because Rachel Gilmore herself has been tweeting about it. But this this kind of ambiguous, this kind of weird release from Pierre Polyev yesterday, does it make sense, do you think, first to talk about the release, Sapria, and then we'll talk about who it was targeted at because she wasn't named Uh, And I don't know about you, but I was having a hard time figuring it out when he's talking about Canadians trust in the news media reaching an all time low. He says unprofessional journalists try to set disingenuous traps to attack opponents. Uh, It goes on to say, which I thought was pretty amazing. uh, Since you insist he's writing this at a journalist who he does not name in the release. What a strange approach says since you. But we don't know who he's talking about at the time. Since you insist on demonizing Canadians who dare to speak up against the Trudeau government, we can only assume, says the Polyev camp, that global news is content to be a liberal mouthpiece. <laughs> Number one, if we live in a world when global news is the yeah. liberal mouthpiece, I'm fucking moving somewhere. I don't know where, but my bags are packed already. Turns, yeah. out, it was, turns out it was uh, our former colleague, Rachel Gilmore. I, look, this is, it's an unhinged response to questions. Even if you think the questions are a trap or they're dumb or they're whatever um, to go after Rachel in that way is, is ridiculous. And like, I, I think it's interesting that he didn't name her by name. Right. And um, I, it was pointed out to me by a journalist who was targeted by Bernier um, that it is very likely so that they could avoid a Twitter suspension um, as a result of this. And so they've kind of skirted, that issue. But, you know, if you're going to support a movement that is being organized by people with literally documented extremist ties, these aren't like ties that were like people are pulling out of thin air. Like there's been a lot of investigative reporting to go in to document the extremist ties. Then you're going to be asked about what you think about those extremist ties. And again, you're free to think that those questions are fucking stupid, that they're dumb, that you don't you're above them and that you don't need to answer them, but you're still going to get asked them. It's just the way that these things work. And, you know, Polyev and the Conservative Party as a whole made a concerted choice to support the convoy. And, you know, Polyev and his team made the choice to march alongside James Topp. So you're going to get questions about some of his ties. And again, you can very easily say something along the lines of like, you know, 
people don't want to get a vaccine for all sorts of reasons. There's a gradation to this. I condemn the people who called to overthrow the government, the ones that, you know, hurled racist epithets at, at Jagmeet Singh, um, or the ones that are harassing people outside of vaccine clinics, et cetera, et cetera. But again, he, he chose to do the, go the take your freedom back route and to attack the journalist. And the other thing is that like, I think this is just going to get more folks um, poking around um, in this sort of uh, realm. And, you know, it, it's, I, I just, I don't know, like you mentioned the, the PPC. So I'll bring, I'll ask the question to you. How is this any different than what Maxime Bernier did? It's not. Um, when, he, when he was asked, yeah, right. Like when he was asked about like, why are a bunch of these extremists and racists showing up to your rallies? Like, what is it about you that is so attractive to these people? Um, Pierre and the CPC are going to get asked these questions time and time and time again. And they're going to have to have a better answer um, than just like, you know, a middle finger to everyone about this. So Rachel Gilmore, you can follow her at, and I mean the, the symbol at, and then at, it's a great Twitter handle, at, at <laughs> Rachel Gilmore. Or is it that great if I have to explain it? I digress. She says, and she, good for her because she blasted it out there. She says, Polyev's team sent this to me on Tuesday, the release she's talking about in response to my request for comment. She says it read like a press release then. I guess it was a press release. And then she reveals, Zabria, the questions that she did ask, says he didn't answer them. He replied by calling me unprofessional. But these are the so-called, these are the outrageous questions. Number one, does Mr. Polyev feel he has a responsibility to distance himself from movements that call for actions that violate Canadian law and the principles of our democracy? In my mind, a very fair question. Yes, does he have concerns fair. that his support of figures like Top and his silence when Top's ties to figures like McKenzie are revealed could be interpreted as endorsing such far-right views? Fair question. How does he respond to those criticizing his silence in relation to these far-right figureheads? Does Mr. Polyev condemn white supremacy and comments from Jeremy McKenzie, including that he'd like to watch gallows, you know, people swinging gallows on Parliament Hill? Pointed, focused, fair questions. And instead, Polyev goes after the media, opening with, you know, no wonder trust in the media is at an all-time low. It's the Trump playbook. I mean, maybe Bernier, but it's the Trump playbook to turn people against the media. And to me, it shows, I mean, number one, not just an unwillingness to be forthright and transparent with Canadians, but also an insecurity in policy and position, an inability uh, to explain exactly where you stand on something. If you can't go on the record and say, I absolutely, I mean, she asked him here, like, you know, does he condemn white supremacy? And these comments, you, you can't answer that question, whether or not you condemn white supremacy. Yeah, I mean, I think his camp would say that, like, of course we do. It's a ridiculous question and it's akin to like, so say uh, when, did, when did you stop beating your wife, right? But then push back on the question, push back on the framing. Like, that's how this stuff works, right? Um, it's not like, I, I don't know, it's just we're going down this weird path and I find Trump comparisons generally to be like annoying and lazy um, just because it's like everything's Trump, but like we pretend like we don't have our own issues. So like, let's just leave this within the realm of, of our own stuff. And I think that's why I chose the Bernier thing, because I think that's a more apt, um, you know, apples to apples sort of comparison. And I think going down this road, um, what does he think is going to happen when he's actually leader? And what does he think is going to happen if he wins the election, um, whatever the, the next one is? And he becomes prime minister. What you think you're just not going to ask tough questions? You're just going to like put out these blasts to the to the gallery? Like, okay, like that's really fucking bad for democracy, and it's also really bad for us as a country. Is to you know when these these kinds of things get normalized. Okay, so you may not prefer the Trump comparison, but no, prom- no, no, I think it's fine. Whatever. Promise it's me not- this: yeah. if he starts talking about failing global news the failing global news stations then you have oh, to i'm allow waiting me for him to, to call it globalist Trump. news global no, i used to get that all the time you when i was there shouldn't have given you're part the of idea. globalist news yeah yeah i used to be told that i put the the c for communism into 630 ched so there you go <laughs> hey i know you have to go um but but let me ask you really quick just just a, yeah. a, a comment off the top of your head on the, on the absolute collapse of support for for longtime controversial british prime minister boris johnson who announced his resignation he's not really resigning he's resigning in a few months but he officially resigned yesterday he'll stay on till they find a replacement but but his mps more than 50 resigning in 48 hours said enough is enough yeah i mean it's all it's british politics is always way more fun i find than canadian yeah. politics for exactly this reason that there's always this sort of like 
fratter side that ends up happening where they're like, okay, now we're out. And I just, it makes for good drama and it makes for fascinating watching from like across the pond. But I mean, this was a long time coming. Yeah, I'm impressed that he was able to hang on for as long as he did. Um, once all of those allegations about those uh, parties um, that you know were were happening under his watch, while the country, the rest of the country was under like strict lockdown, um, was were, were were happening. So I guess kudos to him for being able to fail upwards uh, all the way to prime minister and to keep it for as long as he did. Sapria Devetti, always great to see your face, my friend. Have an amazing weekend. You too. Bye, Ryan. Yeah, you can catch Sapria every Friday here on uh, Real Talk. And, uh, of course, we appreciate when you smash that like button. Our little guy, Wyatt, you know, he's six, and uh, he's allowed a little bit of tablet time, John, through the week, a little bit of screen time. And he's got these kids' shows that he likes to watch. They're these families. You, you never hear of these families until you're a parent. And then you see and, and you see that there's like parents and kids and they put these little YouTube episodes together. And you go, I'm listening from the other room and I go, that's kind of a neat show. I said, buddy, what's this? Who's this family? He goes, oh, yeah. And he tells me the name. And the, oh, they have 11 million subscribers Jeez. and 30 million people watch their videos. And, and why it comes up to me the other day. I felt like this is the new age of digital new media, independent media of which we are a part. Uh-huh. And he says, dad, I know how to subscribe, but I don't know how to like and I said, okay. He says, they're always asking me to like and subscribe. I said, well, here's how you can like it, kiddo. And then I said, I ask our audience members to do the same thing, to like, subscribe, to share our content, especially the interviews that you think will resonate with the people you know. We're going to talk to Andrew Walker, host of The Hedge at thehedgepod.com in just a second. Some uh, fun talk sending us into our weekend, but we wanted to remind you how proud we are to announce a, a partnership uh, this week with our friends at Apex Automation. You can check out what they do, uh, calling all engineers, basically. ApexAutomation.ca is where you can see more about what Apex does, uh, providing intuitive, fully autonomous solutions to industry and giving people back their time, their customers, as well as the engineers that work for them. Now, how do they do it? They do it because they have great people working there. If you're an engineer looking for a new opportunity, a new challenge, you want to achieve great things, reach your potential professionally and personally, Consider working for Apex. Flexible hours, professional development opportunities, shares in the company, and a fun company culture. I can tell you firsthand, John, I have hosted their Christmas parties before. Their company culture is fantastic. (laughs) These guys have an unbelievable time. You can learn more about what they're doing at apexautomation.ca. They're working around the world. Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials want to remind you that they make weekly deliveries to your door. If you live in Metro Calgary and Edmonton areas, of course, they're passing through Central Alberta. They can deliver there, too. Check out granddog.ca to learn more about how quality raw food might be the best move that you can make, not just for your dog, but for your cat as well. Under the Shop Now link, you'll find more on the feline options. If you use the promo code REALTALK, they'll knock 10% off your first-time order. But if you want to learn more about why raw, maybe you're going, ah, our dog seems to do fine on kibble, but you're open-minded to exploring the benefits of quality raw food, I recommend you do what we did years ago and visit granddog.ca. I saw our friends at Infinity Healthcare out and about the other day. As a matter of fact, you may have seen it on my Instagram story. They've got this little, like, Fiat. You know those little Italian cars? My, my yeah. grandpa would have called them puddle jumpers. These cute little <laughs> puddle jumpers. This Fiat outbranded with Infinity Healthcare yesterday, actually in our neighborhood. And I thought, I guarantee that's a home care visit. And I was wondering, is it somebody that heard about Infinity on Real Talk? You go to infinity-8.ca. Maybe your family is one of those. You're the sandwich generation. You're looking after your parents. You're looking after your kids at the same time. You want to make sure they're getting the care that they need. Of course, you know that includes people taking their meds. Is grandpa eating the meals we're having delivered? Is grandma's laundry getting done? Basic stuff, but trust is a huge angle on that. Their personality matching service makes sure your home care professional is the best one possible with Infinity Healthcare. And a big shout out to our friends at Friesen Brothers who know that uh, rain or shine, you're likely going to be getting out and hitting the grill this weekend. They encourage you to visit their real butchers at the 16 Friesen Brothers locations across the province. I was telling you about the pork belly we did burnt end style for Canada Day. They've got brisket. They've got steaks, pork, chicken, turkey, plant-based options, and more. Plus, fresh fish. Oh, man. Pan-seared scallops. Give me a break. You can find out more. Alberta grown, Alberta owned. It's Friesen.com. 
Well, there's a lot going on this weekend, as mentioned, and 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 uh, when it comes to you know the world of sport, uh, it's no exception. The NHL draft kicking off last night, bit of a surprise at number one, the Montreal Canadiens uh, selecting on on home ice, so to speak, Montreal. Hosting the draft, of course, uh, covering that in a way, along with everything else he's keeping an eye on, is the host of The Hedge at thehedgepod.com. Andrew Walker joining us live in studio. Good to see you, pal. Uh, not much. We'll get uh, get your mic ready to rock. You're wearing a golf shirt today, aren't you? On, you're on your way out of here in a little bit. You're swinging the sticks, but in a, but in a way that there's uh, some implications today. You're actually competing today. Yeah, I'm, I'm heading down to uh, the wonderful town of Lacombe. Town? Love city, Lacombe, city Alberta. Lacombe, yeah. yeah. Uh, for the uh, for the annual Lacombe Men's Open, which is uh, the only like competitive golf tournament I've ever I've ever done, but they do a great job down there, and people come from Edmonton, people from come from Calgary, and and even you, I know you you uh, you try to get better, you struggle sometimes with your game, but everything's flighted, right? So you so you play against guys that are in your handicap uh, zone, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate you taking this immediately to, to my struggles. <laughs> there'd be well, there'd be like a championship flight. I'm in the third flight. Even you and, could play. Even and, you, yeah. even someone like you, Jasmo, uh, that has well, listen, no idea what he's doing. Listen, out you there. have you have a newborn. If your golf game was in tip top shape, people might start to question. Trouble, yeah, yeah. Although John, yeah. John probably thinks that that I'm a bit of a sandbagger because the only time that you've ever he goes, no, I don't. The only time that you've ever seen me swing golf clubs was on the fourth tee box at the Real Talk Golf Classic. Drives. I was pounding yeah. drives. I just took the same shot again and again and again every mm-hmm. group that came through. And if you can't nail down a shot after about 80 practice swings, then I don't know what you're even doing. Well, you know how uh, so I was watching because the Scottish Open is today it was really early morning. So I got up and I was having my coffee and I was watching some golf to get in the mood. Yeah. And uh, you know how these guys have all of the um, um, advertisements, right? Like they got the fancy hats and the outfits and um, you know, whatever with with their sponsors. So at your golf tournament, I just heard you talking about them. Apex was giving out these amazing hats. The Apex hats are fantastic. They can't be cheap. No, they're like, great. The Apex hats, I think they're like fifty bucks a box. So like, I I met the folks at Apex and they're awesome. I met them a couple of times. Yeah. Um, but like, without them knowing, they're like my official sponsor. I got like the black shirt and the Apex hat. And that a boy. I, I look, I look pro. Are but... you going to be wearing your uh, the Hedge Andrew Walker shirt today yes. in competition? Yes, absolutely. Well, yeah. I hope that you hoist the what is it a chalice? What are they? What do you win I don't in know. the third I, Last flight? year, I got eliminated early. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. So, so this is uh, you're, well, you're usually what like a usually like I've I've golfed with you your 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 amazing days you shoot a 79 and your your average days you shoot an 81 and your bad days you shoot an 85 are you in that territory I, I am an 8.4 handicap according to the good folks at golf canada which means that you would shoot on average an 80.4 right Ish. No, that's well, not exactly that's every, how that's every how somebody course, that doesn't really know what they're talking about perceives correct handicap. yes <laughs> Yeah, every course is like it, it's kind of like the yeah the vague the vague thing is like that's your average of of over par eight over par, but it also takes in, into account um, degree of difficulty at the course. If, like if you do a dive in the Olympics, it's like oh wow you landed it, but you only did like a somersault. Like it's not great. Sure, right? So yeah, I'd like to see that. For instance, the the ranch uh, that you play at, yeah, you know your home course, it's a pretty difficult course. So if it you is. Shoot, if you shoot well, that's at why the, I shoot a one eleven. If you shoot well at the ranch, it bodes pretty well for your handicap. Is the, <laughs> is the whole point? But okay, anyway. my person, my my personal best is at the ranch. It's just a lot higher than yours. I shot an eighty eight two summers ago, as you know, which, which for most, me was most golfers can't break a hundred. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I was doing this math the other day. So if um, given, let's say you have six tee times an hour, seven tee times an hour. From six until six, let's say. Let's say on average you get two hundred golfers going on the golf course per day. Uh, less than ten percent of that, playing like by the rules and taking your strokes and everything yeah. like that. Less than ten percent of that will break a hundred. Wow. Yeah, crazy, huh? Okay. Do you know what your handicap is? Hixie? No. <laughs> I'm a horrible golfer. How many times have you played golf in your life? I, I don't. I just go to the driving range. Maybe like less than ten. Are you open like a, to like it? A full eighteen. Like Are you open to 10. it? I, I'm open to it now that you, you know I'm because out with spending you guys time with you is important. You, well, no. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. No, that's not what I was going to say. You know, you know what? But I, spending time. Just let me just say real quick. Like you are me. Like walks. To put this. I'm not putting this into Walker's head. Like I'm asking him on the spot. What's my nickname on the golf course? Do you remember? Can you? It starts with P. Yeah, party cart. Party cart. That's what they call me. <laughs> yeah. 
The they say, the oh, part, is... you're, you're at your pot party cart, yeah. and it's because I'm the guy with the music and the cigars and the laughs and the birdie juice and all the stuff you need. And so nobody cares if I take an eight on one, and nobody cares if I'm five over through two, and nobody cares because we're having a wonderful time. And, John, I think that would be you. Well, thank you. Yeah, pal. Yeah. It's about the, <laughs> it's about the camaraderie. It's about the fellowship. So are you open to, uh, to a relay golf foursome? I'm open to everything. Okay. I'm for... always open to foursomes. Maybe the, we'll get uh, to... All right. <laughs> You know, I was going to say it's a kid, it's a yeah. family show, but it's not really actually. I've dropped f bombs yeah. already. Come on, this kids, morning. let's all watch real. <laughs> Come talk. on, kids, let's <laughs> talk about federal <laughs> politics and leadership races. You know, with f- you know what I do like about golf, though, and 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 this is being serious. Like, not to separate this based on on genders, but I find like um, you know. Women and their friends will go for coffee, right? And they'll and they'll chat like my mom and her friends. Like they they talk and they talk and they talk and they they never run out of topics. Where it's like you know you and I aren't going to go for a coffee and chat for four hours. Like we're just not going to do that. We would run out of things to talk. Well, about. exactly. And uh, but golf, you are forced. Um, you know, some of your best friends or guys you haven't caught up with. You are you are in forced close proximity for four to five hours, and you never run out of things to talk about. It's the only avenue I find that you can do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sort of I have half a mind right now to hijack this entire show <clears throat> to to serve my own personal interests and talk about a move that I made last night in a fantasy hockey pool of which Walker is also a part. Uh, and and this makes no sense because there's really no benefit for the audience here for me to start talking about Patrick Kane, uh, the all-time greatest Chicago Blackhawk, the greatest American hockey player of all time. Uh, but last night, I was able to orchestrate a trade in our fantasy hockey pool that sees Patrick Kane uh, pair up with my star centerman, my captain, Sidney Crosby, for a run at the Cherry Cup next year. And all I have to say, people might now be saying, Jesperson, what is the relevance? The quick answer, the short answer is there is no relevance. But number two, were we to be on the golf course today, all I would be talking about <laughs> is Patrick Kane. And then I would come home and Carrie would say, how's Walks doing? How's his girlfriend? You know, how, what's going on with his family? How are his parents doing? Oh, what's Walker up to this summer? And I would have answers to none of those questions. <laughs> but I'd be yeah, able to tell her selfish. about all, all yeah. of the fantasy hockey talk that we've been having so yeah it was uh i've been getting a lot of texts today regarding you and your uh, fantasy hockey trade what do the guys have to say about it you should be arrested for grand larceny yes. i don't know what yes. i don't know what happened yeah. but you know i, I a guy think- had a down moment yeah. here's what happened and, and we don't want to lose the audience here people are just skipping ahead 30 seconds right now until they get to the meet because we're going to talk about the nhl draft lottery in just a se- not the lottery but the nhl draft in just a second uh, but what happened, I think, was that Chicago traded Alex Debrinkat, their star goal scorer, yeah. this young guy. Chicago's with, rebuilding. Debrinkat's like yeah. 24, 25. He's young anyway. He scored, he's like a 50-goal guy. He's like a 40-goal guy, guaranteed. And Chicago trades him to Ottawa. And, the, and then the next thing you know, Patrick Kane's future is unknown because Kane basically hinted that he would stay in Chicago for the rebuild if they kept Debrinkat. So now people assume Kane's on the move. Uh, to me, that doesn't seem like a smart time to trade him because what happens if Kane gets traded to Pittsburgh uh, or the or the Rangers or something unbelievable? But I digress. The GM that had him in a moment of weakness <laughs> offered him to me. I'm with Wyatt. I'm listening to Johnny's tunes. We're at the Edmonton Elks game in the stands last night against the Calgary Stampeders, and I say, son, hang on a second. Before the rain. Daddy, yeah. Daddy needs a few minutes of screen time here to orchestrate a quick trade. And I was telling him what was going on. I said, we're stealing Patrick Kane from a guy. <laughs> and so there we have it. Were you surprised last night, Montreal Canadiens? First overall pick. They, they, they didn't go off the board, uh, but they didn't take who a lot of people thought would go number one, Shane Wright out of Kingston, the, the uh, Canadian yeah. Hockey League star. Well, I mean, if you've been... I've been following along with the uh, with the hedge. Um, you know, we've had some some people on this week talking about the draft, and <clears throat> one of the guys that he was on the panel last night. One of the guys that that's the most connected is Sam Cosentino, and he said on Monday on the hedge, the Montreal Canadiens were probably not going to take Shane Wright at one. Now Shane Wright is just the he's the kid that you know. Yes, the average hockey fan, and maybe he's the guy you could name in the draft because he was kind of that. Hey, he's the projected number one pick. Two years ago, we yeah. heard about Shane Wright. And uh, between COVID and injuries and, generally speaking, in their junior hockey development, and they threw this graphic up last night, a guy will play about 250 games before he gets drafted. And uh, and Shane Wright, g- given all those circumstances, played like 140. Like, it was shockingly low between injuries and, and, and COVID cancellations. So I think... 
Um, you know, he still went fourth. You know, he went fourth overall to Seattle, and that's that's pretty good. But he definitely slipped, and I think part of it was kind of the unknown. Montreal liked their guy, and then New Jersey came up at two, and they got a lot of good forwards, so they went with the D-man, and then Arizona went with an American, and that kind of matters in that market and all of a sudden sure Shane Wright went four right yeah he goes four four to Seattle which is I think it's kind of cool when a guy that maybe was going to go number one goes mm-hmm. to an expansion team and he can start his career there and what a place to live um, I, I just wanted to drop in here we are seeing some comments online uh, and, and I do think that you know they're 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 worth mentioning Haas for example says nothing destroys a nice walk in the woods smoking a joint uh, like a golf ball can uh, fair enough uh, and, and then this is also, uh, you know, some, some interesting uh, commentary here. Uh, KT says golf is flog spelled backwards. I believe that was from Mark Twain. They said, and by the way, you are in shit when you arrive in Lacombe because it is a city, not a town. But at least you got that figured yeah, out before I, you touch down there. So you're all good. So what <laughs> we did. So what do we know about what do we know about your I Slavkovsky, this Slovakian becomes the first to go first overall. How about this? The highest drafted Slovakian in history, Marion Gabrick, went third overall, the only Slovakian to ever go in the top five ever. And then last night, Slovakians one, one go and one two, and man. two. So who, who did the Montreal Canadiens pick up at one? Who is this guy, the MVP of the Olympic Games at 18 years old? Well, you don't see a lot of wingers go first overall. You're a new player. Patrick Kane certainly went one. Um, he's a fast riser. He was a guy that was kind of known, but then he played for Slovakia at the, at the World Championships, right? A boy playing with men and was really, really good. And he's a big boy, and he impressed in the interviews. He's six foot four, And, I mean, Montreal, they, they scout the hell out of these guys, and they just really, really liked him and liked him a little more than, than, uh, than Shane Wright. It's always interesting, though, when a team at number one, and it doesn't happen all the time, but a team at number one, takes the player that wasn't projected to go at number one because there are the questions, should they have traded down? Do you just go get the guy you want? Well, or- that's fan speak, right? Fans would be like, well, trade down. Well, you can only do that if, it, you know, it's it's like fans getting mad at the team. It's like, you had a third, I, like they should have got a second. Well, they would have if it was available, right? So, you know, easier easier said than done. Um, and that's why people always wonder why your team's so cloak and dagger. Why don't they? you know, talk about things. It's because they're looking at all avenues. They're looking at all the players. They're trying to figure out scenarios in which they trade. But, you know, unless you're Brian Burke moving for the Sedins, a lot of times those top five rumors don't really pan out. Yeah, fair enough. Angtide, I want to ask you about there's there's sort of a a legacy being celebrated uh, today, and I want to ask you about that in just a second. We're talking to Andrew Walker. You can subscribe to The Hedge. It's Andrew's sports podcast. It's out every single weekday at thehedgepod.com. Right now, I want to tell you about our partners at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. If you're looking for a Ram 1500, you're looking for something to pull your family's trailer, looking for something to get you out to the campsite, Uh, Maybe you're looking for something that just allows your family the room that it needs to get around. Uh, There's nothing like the Motor Trend Truck of the Year back-to-back back years, including that 1500 TRX. That's the top of the line Ram, 700 plus horsepower. Unbelievable stuff rocking that big Hemi. Uh, St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge, better selection of Rams, Jeeps, and of course those puddle jumpers we talked about than anywhere else in the province. They can share their inventory between the two dealerships. You let them know that Real Talk sent you. Our friends at Local Environmental, we're so proud to celebrate Maya as West Edmonton Mall's first mayor of the mall this week. It's part of their commitment to community and we were so grateful to see maya through the adaptabilities program living her best life a vip shopping experience a night stay at the Fantasyland hotel local environmental is proud to support community initiatives the next time you're out at west edmonton mall you make sure that you mention how cool this was to see local environmental supporting this stuff and of course you'll see their green bins all over the place whether it's big malls or your family's small ma and pop shop Local Environmental wants to fight for your business today at localenvironmental.ca. Park Power wants to remind you that there's a scam going on right now, and this is directly related to a new rebate program. This is the Alberta Electricity Rebate Program, a phishing scam, at least one and potentially more. So they've got their team on this on their blog. Want to make sure that you're not getting duped. 
Go to parkpower.ca to learn more about the red flags you should be keeping an eye on. Don't forget, you could save money every month on your internet, electricity, and natural gas by bundling your services. And when you take your business to Park Power, use the promo code 2022-REALTALK for $70 off your first bill. I was so excited to be able to see a Kubi Cube in action just the other day. I was telling you about this. It's essentially a shipping container covered in solar panels with battery infrastructure inside. I got to see it in action, running big lights and charging up yard and power tools. This thing is helping people get off the grid across the country. And of course, based on the fact it's a shipping container itself, Kubi Energy can send them anywhere. This is the future of sustainable, reliable energy. You can learn more about the Cube and other projects, including taking their entire fleet to fully electric, by the way. That was on their Instagram yesterday. It's Kubi Energy at kubienergy.ca. Walks, you and I first worked together. Uh, it's it's hard to believe, but almost 20 years ago in the city of Red Deer and uh, working with us at that time uh, was a guy who was a, at a, a bit of an advanced stage of his. He was a few years ahead of us with regards to making his name in Canadian sports media. And today marks, I guess, uh, not that's it. That's all. But uh, the end of an era for mm-hmm. Dean Boomer. Molberg. We yeah. wanted to give him a shout out today. Yeah, we we first got to know him in in Red Deer. Uh, you know, he was doing the sports. We were both news reporters. That's how you and I uh, got to know each other. You went on uh, not very long after to host breakfast television, and I moved into the sports realm. And uh, Dean uh, had a couple of stops. He worked at RDTV, the Red Deer television station, yeah. which launched so many careers. And then, as as we've talked about with media, shut its doors years ago. Uh, he actually came up here uh, to Edmonton and host Oilers broadcast for a year right after the Stanley Cup run in, in 2006 and then found his home on the airwaves uh, in Calgary at the Fan 960, which is a Rogers uh, you know, Sportsnet station. And that's where him and I reunited. And so we did a show. We launched a show called Boomer in the Morning in about you know, 2010, 2011. And, you know, I, I since moved, we did a lot of fun stuff. I since moved on and, and worked for sports and in Toronto and Vancouver and, and now the hedge and boomer in the morning stayed until last week, yeah. 11 years. It was the longest running Canadian sports talk radio show in the country. And he's a very, that's honest, amazing, uh, amazing, right? Like given, here's an example. Um, you know, the, the biggest sports station in the country is the Fan 590 in Toronto, which is in that network. I worked for, for them as well. And in the time that Boomer in the Morning ran in Calgary, 11 years, the Fan in Toronto had 12 different morning shows. I, I did one of them. Like, it's nuts. The longevity, the sustainability, it just does not happen in media anymore. And, uh, and he did it, and he stepped away on his own terms. Last week was his last show. It was very emotional. Anyway, this guy, he's very unassuming. Dean Molberg, um, you know, people in Alberta know him. Uh, he doesn't like, uh, you know, the attention. He hates attention. Fanfare. But he needs, uh, he, he deserves to get some recognition for, uh, for his place in Canadian sports radio. He's a, he's a legend. Very funny guy. And he's going to be on. Uh, the hedge later today i love it uh, that's an interview people want to be sure to to check out and uh have you ever uh, john you worked in radio for like years and years and years as well it's almost unprecedented <laughs> years when, we, when we well but you well, have like 15, right yeah, yeah. that's well yeah yeah, that's, yeah it's a long career. time but it's isn't it it's it's it is significant yeah. when someone's when we say that someone leaves on their own terms it almost it's, it's a cutthroat <laughs> backstabbing i don't shouldn't say backstabbing but it's cutthroat yep. for sure and uh when somebody has a, a career like that leaves on their own terms it really is worth mentioning especially these days like i think just with radio and broadcasting the, there's someone in an office always looking being like why are we paying this person this much when yep. we can get a new face for half the price right so to leave you're right on your own terms is like pretty well and the other and i know other businesses are are like this other crews are like this but when i say boomer in the morning that means a morning show and you've done morning shows i've done morning shows slot you get up at three in the morning yeah and you know heaven forbid you were out the night before couldn't get to sleep well you just stay up then (laughs) Right. Yeah. And so that's another thing. Yeah, like you know 11 I mean. years, but 11 years in the morning, it's like dog years, right? It's more like 25. You can yeah. slide by on the night show or the weekends or even the drive, but like mornings, every day you've got a meeting with your, you know, your PD after the show. And, and there's never hard. a bad day. Like there can't be a bad day on mornings. Like you don't no. come in and be like, yeah, I'm dragging my ass today. I'm a little bit 
Uh, the weather's getting me down. You got to be like, "What's up, everybody? <laughs> it's an unbelievable day to yeah, be alive." You got to, you got to force it. it We're happens. so grateful that you're here listening to us. Oh, here's Justin Bieber coming up. Forget what you thought you knew about blueberries. <laughs> We're going to flip the script. Yeah, I forget everything. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Saw, I saw a couple of morning hosts yesterday that I love and respect, and they're doing it. They have a great show, and they've had a great careers, and they do an awesome job. But it was like, we're going to uh, we're gonna chug two tall cans of sparkling water and see if we can keep ourselves from burping. <laughs> oh and I just remember hosting morning shows and just being like, you're always performing. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. always performing. And the I stress think level's high. The stress and, level and then, is high. And then you have to do the promo shots, and you can't just be like, hey, this is me in a suit. You have to be zany. I'm <laughs> the wild and crazy guy. So a big shout out to Boomer. Is there anything, uh, <laughs> Lauren says, Ryan left chorus on his own terms. Yeah, I guess in a way I did, Lauren. Uh, <laughs> But not technically. Uh, <laughs> has anybody heard that story? Does anybody? Uh, is there anything that's, uh, you, you know how Trash Talk rolls here on Friday. It's how we wrap up our week. Uh, because I do have you sitting here, I'm mm-hmm. totally putting you on the spot. But I'm, I'm teeing this up. And just is, is there anything, would you like to participate in an unscripted, impromptu edition of Trash Talk delivered yeah, by sure. Andrew Walker? Okay. I, I have uh, okay, I have, well, I have grudges. Okay. Well, we'll give you, you can just hash this out. It's like, yeah. this is this can be your your therapy for today. This can be, As a matter of fact, this can put you in the right mindset to go smash 310-yard drives <laughs> off the tee box that's in Lacombe. All right, true. pals, that's coming up in just a quick second. Johnny, what am I talking about today when it comes to the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park? Yesterday, it was the chicken baskets, where I was reminding you that not all chicken is the same. Oh, no, next time you're grabbing something on the go, we want you to keep in mind that the Dairy Queen chicken across the country simply is Better, And that includes the Dairy Queens at Palisades de Mayo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. But today, as we head into the weekend, as we hope you have sunshine hitting your face, may we recommend the sweet summer sips that are the poolside punch, the twisty misty slush, and the s'mores shake. All of them officially endorsed and recommended by the team here at Real Talk the Hedge Pod and Relay Communications, the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park valued partners. And we wish you all a great weekend full of blizzards and signature stack burgers and whatever else you need to fuel your family's fun times. Also, a big shout out to our friends at Eden Landscaping. LandscapeEdmonton.com is where you can view their portfolio. You know, a lot of times you might have a clear idea of how you want to bring your outdoor space to life. Uh, If you're like me, you're looking out at your backyard, you have dogs, you're like the lawn has never looked worse. Uh, What if we did pea gravel? What if we did some sort of an installation with cedar chips? What if we maybe had a water feature or maybe interlaced brick, an outdoor kitchen with a smoker and maybe a pizza oven? Heck, they do it all. And they've been earning return business and referrals for more than 20 years. It's never too late into the summer to get in touch with Mike and his team at Eden Landscaping. You can have your work done just in time for the Labor Day weekend. Why not have a few friends over, sit outside that brand new campfire circle? LandscapeEdmonton.ca is where you'll find them. Did I give you enough time to kind of rev you? You're ready to go? Oh, I, no. Yeah, okay, I don't so need you, much time. You didn't. To, you had need yeah. five seconds. All right. Well, every Friday. Less angry than I know, used to be, do. but still very angry. <laughs> If you could just rewind some of that progress that you've made for the entertainment of our audience every Friday, we blow off a little steam. Thanks to our friends at Local Environmental Services. We call it Trash Talk! All right, Walks, over to you. Well, I mean, uh, Louis C.K. has a great stand-up bit Uh on uh, people are, you know, I hate Verizon. I hate Verizon. It's like, you go make your own network then. Today it's Rogers. Get a ladder and go throw some hubcaps in the trees. See how close (laughs) your network is to perfect. Um, But yeah, Rogers uh, sell an internet services down throughout the country. And it's a, uh, it's a... Big inconvenience. Do you have a Rogers phone? Is that why you keep looking at your phone? Yes. And it's just <laughs> dead. This isn't a phone. It's just a, it's a brick <laughs> yes. right now. It's a paperweight. Um, you'd think with the money they saved firing me, they could <laughs> afford some <laughs> decent cell towers. Yes. But we'll see. You were uh, one of those high earners. Yeah. The other one uh, that I'd like to complain about. So a lot of trades in the NHL draft, like the Oilers traded Zach Cassian and right, you saw Arizona, that. yeah, a salary cap dump because they need some money. Now the Maple Leafs did the same; they traded their disastrous contract uh, of a goalie, Peter Mrazek, along with the first round pick to get him off the books and give them more money. And uh, all the like the Leaf fans and Leaf media are like are, are saying, uh, "Well, it doesn't matter because 
you know, they think they're gonna they're gonna draft the player in the next round that they thought they were gonna get in the first round anyway. And like like it's this whole like apology, basically apologizing for Kyle Dubas, the GM. And I was thinking about this. There's, you know, 150 draft picks every year and even more. And has any team ever drafted a player that they didn't have ranked higher on their list? Ever. Have they ever been like, well, we had this guy ranked uh, uh, 50th, yeah. but we're going to get him at 35th. No, it doesn't work that way. Uh-huh. So every draft pick ever, with the exception of maybe number one overall, every team in the history of sports will say, yes, we had him ranked higher on our list because that's what you do. So it's not a it's not a thing. This is not the flex that you think it is. I thought you were going to be way angrier than that. Did you think it's more it's more annoyance when we release the pod? Can we throw some anger into Walker's voice there when he gets angry at me on the pod? (laughs) I hardly even know. All right. How about this one? I'll just give you the I just do the side eye. The side eye. That is the Walker's side eye is. How about this one from Rob M? I love this one. I, I yesterday, not yesterday, this week, I talked about the provincial conservatives budget surplus and we were talking about tax policy it was kind of a hate surpluses i hate surpluses uh but do you hate taxes taxes and so we had some interesting conversation about de-indexing taxes and we got into the weeds on it which is good because people want to know how to save money but i did let out of my out of my mouth i uttered considering alberta's budget surplus and as soon as i said i'm gonna get some emails and rob m we're reading yours today he says regarding this so-called budget surplus jesperson it's not a budget surplus it's a societal deficit he says here are a few of the reasons why alberta has a budget surplus all right wage rollbacks to nurses and lab techs Aish remains frozen 700 million cut from post-secondary institutions the Kananaskis country park pass revenues were not reinvested back into the land 40,000 senior citizens lost their drug plans teachers wages are not keeping up with inflation doctors compensation is so low that GPs are inaccessible for much of the province arts industry grants underfunded because their purpose you know supporting the pandemic's hardest hit industry come on the silver lining maybe the failure to launch the unnecessary provincial police force prior to the premier being forced to announce his resignation here's my healthy speculation says rob m provincial ministries are not cooperating with the auditor general's request for specifics on how this four billion dollars was or was not spent on pandemic relief we should be wondering more about that and thank you for reading and yes, says Rob, I'm hoping to win one of your delightful studio mugs so that I can sip coffee out of it while watching your show in the mornings. Rob, we will put your email into the hopper for consideration as our Real Talk email of the month. I suppose by throwing it up into the air and seeing it flutter to the ground, he's not sure if it's going to land there or not. But Rob, take my word for it, I will. Trash Talk is real email sent to talk at ryanjesperson.com when you need to get something off your chest. You know where to send it. Coming up on Monday, I'm looking forward to this conversation. A journalist, Connie Walker, who's released this podcast series, Stolen, Surviving St. Michael's. It's the story of her dad surviving residential schools plus on thursday of next week spread the word we'll be talking to ucp leadership candidate danielle smith i'm already getting a whole lot of questions from you keep them coming have an amazing weekend real talkers check out the hedgepod.com that's walk show you can subscribe to it anywhere you get your podcast and we will see you on monday morning Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook Shivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola. Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.